Praise the Lord. Mm. Are we Southern Baptists? Are we Independent Baptists? What are we? Are we Bapticostal? I'm okay with it. We, this is the quietest world you'll ever live in. That's truth. Quietest one you're, you'll ever live in. I want to talk to you today about the Rainbow Covenant. Now, there's a lot of people that believe a lot of things about the rainbow, and, and sadly, I'm afraid that a lot of our little kids growing up now, they may not have any clue what the rainbow really means. Um, and, I, and I just think about something really simple here. Uh, how many of you remember Shaquille O'Neal as a college basketball player? Anybody remember him? Now, I remember him as the most dominant college basketball player I've ever seen. I didn't like him, but I remember he was the most dominant. But my kids know him as the gold bond guy and the guy who sells the, the general insurance. That's how they know him. And so I'm afraid that, uh, that a lot of our children are victims of this same kind of thing. They've never heard what the rainbow really means. And so uh, there's, there's a lot of myths about it. There's a lot of uh, uh, misconceptions. And some other groups have tried to, uh, to hijack the symbol. Uh, for, for their own good, but let's just look at what the Bible says about the rainbow and how appropriate that it would be on a cloudy day uh, that the Lord would give me this message to, to preach. We've got one more, uh, we're in Genesis 9 today, we've got one more uh, message to, to uh, complete the generation of Noah, or as the Hebrew says, the Toledah of, of Noah. The book of Genesis is arranged by these generations, the generation of the heavens and the earth, the generation of Adam, the generation of Noah, the generation of Jacob and Isaac and so on. And so we're about to complete the generation of Noah, but we're not quite there yet. We have a couple um, today and then in two weeks from now we're going to have one more message about Noah. We'll have a lot of fun with that one for sure, but uh, let's talk about the Noahic covenant. Now the, the word covenant uh, is an important biblical concept. And I've done some teaching on our YouTube channel, if you haven't looked at it, about the covenants of the Bible. Some say there's eight, some say there's only five. I don't split hairs with people over that kind of thing, but I actually think that there are eight. Um, there's two prior to this one, I believe, one being the Edenic covenant God made in the Garden of Eden, uh, the other being the Adamic covenant um, that, that happened after the fall. But nevertheless, whatever you believe about covenants, this is actually the first time the word appears in the Bible. The first time the word covenant, which is the Hebrew word berit, the first time that it appears uh, in the scripture. And uh, I'm just going to read one, one verse here, and then I'm going to ask Preacher Larry if, to, if he will to pray for us. Um, but we're in uh, Genesis 9, 15, and, uh, and God says this. He says, no, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong... What verse am I looking at here? Is it 15. All right. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you, and every living creature of all flesh, and the water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it, that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. I want to speak to you this morning about the rainbow covenant. Preacher Larry, would you pray for us? Heavenly Father, we thank you that we're able to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Lord, there's a lot of places that we could be, but Lord, we're thankful that you brought us here. 
pray, Father, that you continue to bless our church. We thank you, Lord, for the spiritual blessings that we receive. And we pray, Father, that you help us to be grateful for them. We pray that you bless us today as you speak to us through your word. We pray, Father, that you be with each one of us. Help us, Lord, as we deal with the problems of life. Forgive us of our sins. We ask in thy name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Preacher Larry. Now, before we begin in Genesis 9, let's, take a, let's go back to Genesis chapter 1, if you will, for just a moment. And I want to compare and contrast the covenant, uh, God's words to Adam. You're going to see a lot of parallels between Adam and Noah. And, the, and these are intentional. Uh, but look with me in Genesis 1. And verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image. Notice the, the, uh, the Trinity is, is in view here early, early on in the Bible. That there's more than one person in the Godhead. Um, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. And over the fowl of the air. And over the cattle. And over what? The whole earth. Basically, Adam was created to be king of the world. And over every creeping thing. So then we get to verse 28. It says, So God blessed them, that would be Adam and Eve, collectively. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Now it's kind of unfortunate uh, in the King James that it says replenish. Other translations have tried to remedy this. The Hebrew word is male, uh, and it means to fill. The, when we say replenish, we, we typically mean that we have to refill something that's gone empty, right? If I replenish my supply, it means I've gone empty. But, but it really means to fill. It says to, so I'm going to say um, to fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish. Again, that, notice that, uh, that phrase, subdue. That means to be the king of the world over the whole earth. To subdue it, to have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And God said, I've given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is a fruit, which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for, and again the King James says for meat, but it's food. Because up in, for the first 1,600 years of human history, man had a, a vegetarian diet. So the word meat here should be food translated. Uh, that's a long time where man was a vegetarian. Uh, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. Um, Let's go to chapter 2 of, of Genesis really quick. And we just want to finish talking about Adam. Um, all right, let's look at verse 16 of chapter 2. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you eat thereof you shall surely do what? Die. So there was one prohibition there. All right. All right, let's go to the next slide. There's four major uh, issues in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Each one resulted in uh, a new world, if you will. The first was creation. God spoke something out of nothing. He's the only one that can do that. Uh, number two was the fall of man. The world that Noah lived in was vastly different from the world that Adam lived in. At, before the fall. The third event is what we've been studying, which is the flood. 
It radically changed the world. It changed the uh, ecology, the, the hydro, hydrological system of the earth, the geological structure of the earth. And then the fourth is the Tower of Babel. We'll talk about that uh, in, in future sessions. All right, let's go to the next slide. Now let's go to Genesis 9. And I jumped on the next slide too quick, but that's, I'm, I'm cool like that. <laughs> too many notes and not enough brains. All right. Now look at chapter 9, verse 1. God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. That's just like Adam, right? But in verse 2, The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth, and upon every fowl of the air, and upon all that moves upon the earth, and upon all the fishes of the sea and to your hand they are delivered now notice the difference here is that God doesn't tell Noah to subdue the earth and the reason is when Adam sinned he gave up his kingship over the earth to Satan in John 12 31 John 14 30 and John 16 11 Jesus calls Satan the prince of this world in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul calls Satan the god of this world or age. In Luke 4, verse 6, the devil, uh, he tempts Jesus. And he says, if you'll worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus didn't argue with him because it was so. 1 John 5, 19 says, we know we are of God. And the King James says the whole world lieth in wickedness. Other translations say, lies under the sway or in the lap of the evil one. So, Satan is the god of this world. And so that, um, that mandate, if you will, to subdue the earth was not repeated with Noah. Now verse 3 is another difference. Every moving thing that lives shall be meat for you. Even as the green herb have I given you all things. And by the way, if you want a copy of this, I'll email it to you. So don't worry if you're trying to take notes. You know, Don't worry if you get fall behind. I'd rather you listen than take notes. All right. So now we see a change in diet in verse 3. Man is, he's able to eat meat. And, um, but he's also still able to eat vegetables. Verse 4, but the flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall you not eat. All right, let's go to the next slide. Man, we're rolling through these. So the difference now is man has gone from an herbivore to an omnivore. Now some preachers will say man became a carnivore. That's not true. Well, it is for some of you because you don't ever eat any vegetables. But, but man is an omnivore now. He's able to eat meat and vegetables if he so chooses, which I know some of you don't. Uh, interesting thing I ran into uh, in a commentary I read in 1 Timothy 4, it says that one of the uh, doctrines of demons in the last days is there would be doctrines of abstinence, a doctrine to abstain from marriage, but also to abstain from eating meat. And some theologians uh, say that, uh, that God gave meat as a protection against demonic activity. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's provocative. Let's go to the next slide. There's one prohibition. 
What is it that man cannot eat? Blood. Let's look in our Bibles together, shall we? Look with me in Leviticus 3. Let's see. Leviticus 3, verse 17. James, won't you read that? It shall be a perpetual statute for your generations throughout all your dwellings that you eat neither fat nor blood. All right, so eat neither fat nor blood in the law of Moses. All right, now let's go to Leviticus 7. James, go ahead and read verse 26 and 27. Putting you on the spot here today, brother. Okay, so it's punishable by death. Now let's go to Leviticus 17. If you'll read verses 10 through 14, my brother. All right, that's pretty serious, right? But what I like about this is it shows you one of the reasons here is in verse 11. The life of the flesh is in the blood, and it has been given to make an atonement. You see that? So that's it's important. Now you get over into the Acts chapter 15. And in Acts chapter 15 is the Jerusalem Council. And it carries over into the New Testament. And notice in Acts 15, 29... That they determined that one of the things that, that the Gentiles were to abstain from was what? Blood. Blood. Drinking blood is connected with demonism. That's why you got all these myths about vampires and stuff. 
But you wonder if some of that was going on with Genesis 6. I don't know. That's why I've got a question mark up here. But it makes you wonder, doesn't it, if that's something that was going on. Now, I heard a preacher the other day putting people under condemnation if they order their steak rare. Does anybody here like steak tartare? You're too ashamed to admit it if you do, right? Now, this troubled me when I heard the preacher say this. I don't like my meat rare. I don't think it's good for you to eat it like that. I think you need to at least put it on the grill for 10 or 15 seconds. <laughs> you don't need to be mooing. But I decided I needed to consult some expertise on this. So I went to two sources. Number one, the internet. And number two, Bobby Wright. And I consider Bobby the more reliable of the two. But he assured me that, uh, that every effort is made to drain those animals of blood before they go to market, whether it be cattle or pigs or whatever. You say, well, what's that red stuff that comes out in your steak when you cut it? And I can't pronounce this, but it's a protein called myoglobin. So you're not actually eating bloody, a bloody steak, even if you like that rascal rare or medium rare. But uh, So I don't want to put anybody in condemnation if you like that nasty rare steak. <laughs> so carry on. <laughs> carry on. All right. Let's go back to Genesis 9. Th James, thank you for reading all those. Now in verse 5, it says, And surely your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require it. And at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother, will I require the life of man. So now, capital punishment is established. Verse 6, Whoso sheddeth man's blood by man, shall his blood be shed. Let's go to the next slide. Now in Acts 25, verse 11, Paul shows that he believes in capital punishment. And I'll leave it for you to read that. But notice Romans 13, verse 4. It says, if you do evil, be afraid, for he bears not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon who? Him that doeth evil. Now we live in a society that is, uh, does not value human life. We don't value it in the womb. And we don't value it outside the womb. And God says if you kill a human, and this is premeditated murder, by the way, which is what most abortion is. I said that's what most abortion is. That the punishment is death. God never took away capital punishment. He never did away with it. Now some say, well, Capital punishment doesn't deter crime. Well, maybe not. I don't, I don't know if it does or not. But I know one thing that they didn't have in ancient Israel. They didn't have prisons. They didn't. And I'm not suggesting we should become vigilantes. 
you know, like Batman or, or whatever. But, but, you know, the Bible says that if man sheds blood, by man shall his blood be shed. And that has never been abrogated. And so regardless of what the debates say, this is what the Bible says. And let God be true and let every man be a liar. All right, we get to verse 7. It says, And you be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein. Notice God's not concerned with population control. God doesn't see babies as inconveniences. He, see the, he sees them as a blessing. I've got to say this carefully, Adam, because I twist it every time. The fruit of the womb, not loom, the fruit of the womb is his reward. Y'all remember when I had that gaff? I'll never live it down. But the fruit of the womb is his reward. So God speaks again into Noah and into his sons. And he says, Behold, I established my covenant with you and with your seed after you and with every living creature that is with you. Now, look at verse 12. Let's go to the next slide. This is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for how long? Forever, right? On and on. What was God's promise to Noah in verse 11? He said, I'll never do what? Never destroy the earth again with what? With water. Now, 2 Peter 3, verses 9 and 10, tells us that he will destroy the earth again. Not by fossil fuels or climate change, but by fire. God's got his hand on the detonator, okay? And I'm going to resist the urge to get talk about green new deals and that kind of stuff because it's, we, I'm here to preach the word of God but let's go to the next slide tokens, signs of covenants now not every covenant has a token or a sign by the, word, by the way the same word is in the Hebrew uh, for sign or token now for Noah's covenant in verse 9 and 13 what's the token of the covenant the rainbow the rainbow is the token or the sign of God's covenant with Noah, but also with all of us because it's perpetual. Now, what about Abraham? Genesis 17, verse 11. What's the token of the covenant with Abraham? It's up on the board here. Circumcision. I'm glad that's not the token of the new covenant. <laughs> but that is the token of the uh, Abrahamic covenant. What about Exodus 31? What's the token of the... Uh, the Mosaic or the Old Testament. Say it louder. No, it's not Sunday. It's the Sabbath day, right? But I'm glad you said that because that's going to let me launch into something. You know, I got the unique privilege every week of making somebody mad. You know, it's just God bless me with that. And um, here's the thing. 
The token of the, the Mosaic Covenant is the Sabbath day. Notice it's a sign between God and the church. Is that what it says? No. It's a sign between God and who? Children of Israel. The Sabbath is a sign not for the church, but for God and Israel. Okay? Now, the Sabbath begins sundown on Friday, and it ends sundown on Saturday. Christians worship on Sunday because it's the first day of the week. That's when Jesus rose from the dead. And we do that, and I, you know, and I'm cool with that. I love it. Sundays just feel different, don't they? They just do. And I'll tell you what, that Sunday nap hits different too, especially when you've been preaching. But, um, but it's a token. Uh, out of all the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath is the only one that doesn't show up in the New Testament. And I think that's very telling. It's because Jesus fulfills the Sabbath requirement. That's why he says in Matthew's gospel, Come unto me, all you who labor, heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. And the book of Hebrews says that when we believe in Jesus, we enter into rest. All right, so this is the sign of the covenant, the token for perpetual generations. Verse 13, he says, I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and and the earth. Praise God. And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. Now it's interesting, the bow, the word in the Hebrew is a battle bow. Um, you think about a bow and an arrow. And so in essence what God did is he took his bow and he hung it in the sky as a symbol saying, no longer am I at war with the earth. It's a sign of peace. What a beautiful picture of God saying, I'm at peace. I'll, no, I'll never destroy the earth with water again. And he hung his bow in the clouds. So every time you see that beautiful rainbow, just, just imagine God has hung his bow in the cloud and said, no longer am I at war. I will never destroy. That's God's promise. And that's how we know it's not a local flood. Right? Because if, it's a lo if Noah's flood was local, then that makes God a liar. Because there's been many floods since, since Noah's flood. But he said, I'll never, I'll never destroy all flesh again with a flood. Now we get to, uh, to verse 15. And he says, I will remember my covenant. Now again, it doesn't mean that God's going to forget that as time goes by that his memory is going to get foggy and he won't remember but the word remember means to be faithful to the covenant. It's covenant language. It's, it's language of covenant faithfulness. I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you, and every living creature of all flesh. You know, God made this covenant not just with humans, but with animals too. Does God care for animals? Absolutely. And the bow shall be in the cloud. I will look on it that I may remember the ever, everlasting covenant. How long is the covenant of Noah in force? Everlasting. That's why we're studying it today. Every time you see the rainbow, you understand this is part of the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature. And in verse 17, God said unto Noah, this is the token of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh which is upon the earth.
Now, there's a lot of repetition in this covenant, quite a bit. One thing that you notice in these last few verses that God speaks about the covenant, he mentions the word covenant seven times, which is that great Bible number of completion or perfection. Seven times God told Noah that he would be faithful to establish and remember his covenant. I, I find that very significant. You think Noah may have, might have needed some assurance? Now, if I ask a person who lives in Seattle, how do they feel about rain? They're going to say, well, uh, you get used to it after a while. But how do you think Noah must have felt the first time a cloud began to form? He may have thought, Are we going, here we go again. The last time this happened, I spent 377 days with my daughter-in-laws <laughs> and my wife. <laughs> Some of you guys are scared to laugh. It's okay. I'll be man enough for all of you this morning. I'm just kidding. Oh, my wife just cut her eyes at me. Never mind. Um, but Noah might have felt a great sense of insecurity, right? I mean, this has been... He went through a very traumatic experience. But God's given him all this assurance. Do you ever need any assurance, reassurance? I know I do. I need plenty of it. And God gave Noah plenty of reassurance here that he was never going to do, uh, allow this to happen to him again. Now, the rainbow, like I said, there's a lot of myths about the rainbow. Some people believe that, uh, that the leprechauns are going to lead you uh, at the end of the rainbow, there's going to be a pot of gold. And there's not, is there? Lori went, to, she, she tried to follow it in our neighbor's yard, and she said, it's, it's really not a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. But um, some people believe that the animals cross over the rainbow bridge. That's not anywhere in the Bible. Some people believe that, that just somewhere over the rainbow, like the Wizard of Oz, that peace lies. And then you have certain groups that have, uh, again, have hijacked the rainbow as their symbol of pride, but the rainbow is God's own special symbol. Let's go to the next slide. We're almost done here, guys. Where does the rainbow appear outside of Genesis? Well, it appears in Ezekiel, verse 1 and 28, when, he, when God is about to judge Israel. And we see here that God's appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness. And this was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of Jehovah. Hmm. So when you see a, a rainbow, don't think about pride. Think about the glory of Jehovah. Think about the glory of God. And Ezekiel, when Ezekiel sees the rainbow, he says, when I saw it, I fell upon my face. That is the response of a man that has an encounter with God. It appears again in Revelation 4, verse 2. John says, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper. And there was a what? Round about the throne. I skipped over that. <laughs> There's a rainbow, right? Around the throne. That's God's symbol. God's symbol is the rainbow. Let's go to the last slide. So what, why study any of this? 
What, what does any of it mean? Well, number one, we see that God is still pro-life. He hasn't changed. The command is still to be fruitful and multiply. Secondly, man is distinct from the animals. Now, the world would have you believe that man came from animals. But God says man has dominion over the animals. You think God knew this evolutionary garbage was going to filter into society? He knew it. And that's why, this is why from the very beginning, God shows that man has dominion over the animals. Man was not made from animal. Man was created in the image of God. Okay. And notice how backwards our society has gone. Now again, I am not advocating any cruelty to animals. I am not advocating doing anything to extinct species. But we have laws that are more strict concerning animals than, than protecting human life. And that is backwards, my friend. I'm not saying we shouldn't protect animals. But we ought to be protecting human life above all things. Because even though that image is marred by the fall... We are still, when I look around in this room today at your smiling faces, well, most of you, I'm looking at the image of God. And that's why Satan hates you so bad. It's not because you're so special. It's because when he sees you, he sees the reflection of the Creator, the image of God in man. And he, he hates that. Man is different from the animals. He didn't evolve. Number three, Another similarity we have with Noah is Noah lived in a fallen world, and we do too. No longer does man have control over the world. Satan is the god of this age. And that's why bad things happen. People say, well, well why, if there's a god, why do bad things happen? Well, this is abnormal. When God created the world, there were no bad things. It was only when man sinned. Man's diet is still in con, uh, conformity with the Noahic laws. We still don't need to be drinking blood because that's where the life is. And by the way, just because you can eat everything doesn't mean you should eat everything, right? I mean, just because I can eat animals doesn't mean I should eat a bat. Ozzy Osbourne did it, but look where it got him. Oh, no, 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 you can't even hardly talk. You can eat any plant you want to, but should you eat poison ivy? I believe some of y'all done gotten to mushrooms this morning, but you got to be careful. You know, use common sense, okay? Uh, also, the sanctity of human life demands government. All this junk about defund the police, get rid of law enforcement, that's straight out of the pit of hell. Listen, and as Peachland continues to grow, we're probably going to have to hire somebody to be a policeman, you know, with all these houses that they're, they're building. Because whenever you got people, you got crime. You got to have government. Now, here's the good stuff. Like Noah, we too have an unconditional covenant from God. And finally, the, the rainbow reminds us that God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. You and I are going to face the storms of life. Now, we'll probably never face anything as traumatic as what Noah did. Probably none of us ever will. But we're all going to go through storms of life. And the rainbow reminds us 
that God keeps his promises. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. We all should memorize Romans chapter 8, I believe. We'd just stand. The book of Hebrews says that our covenant is enforced by the blood of the everlasting covenant, Jesus Christ. The blood will never lose its power. I said the blood will never lose its power. <laughs> and if you come to him as a sinner today and say, God, be merciful unto me, forgive me of my sins, you can have victory in Jesus through the blood of the risen Lord. And that blood will wash you completely clean. It'll make you as if you never sinned. Perfect in the sight of God. So if you've never called on the name of the Lord this morning, I invite you to come to this altar. Come just as you are and admit that you're a sinner. Repent of your sins and believe the gospel. What is the gospel? That Jesus came, he lived a perfect life. He was born of a virgin. He died on the cross, he was buried. He rose again. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father. And if you will fully trust him, if you come to him in faith, he will in no wise cast you out. So the invitation stands today. Would you come?
Amen. When you see the rainbow in the sky, you remember that God is faithful to keep his promises. He said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. All things work together for good to those that love God and those who are the called according to his purpose. Those are some great promises, aren't they? Nothing at all can separate us from the love of Christ. Not one thing. And we just are so grateful and so thankful for that. Amen. I hope you have a blessed week. I look forward to seeing you Wednesday for our adult study and the kids and youth on Wednesday nights as well. Good to see our groups are growing in both, uh, in both camps. And we're just so appreciative. Next week, we will have a business meeting following the service to uh, devote on the recommendations of the nominating committee. And there's still time to get some revisions in there if, the, if anything needs to be revised. Some of you have already made us aware of that. Also, we will have a deacon ordination ceremony uh, next Sunday. So it's a special time. And so be in prayer for us as we, the deacons and I prepare for that service that God will be glorified and honored. And we are grateful that God is raising up leaders in our church. And as we continue to grow, it's going to be more and more work for folks to do. And so that's a good problem to have. And we, we're so grateful for what God is doing. Love you all. Have a blessed week. Brother Adam, would you close us in prayer?